I want to look at the book of Job, chapter 1. But before we go there, let's pray. Our Father, we are here wanting to come into your presence. And we need the help of your spirit. And how we need the blood of Christ to cleanse us. Please, Lord, come in this time. And let our hearts be stirred in the right direction through your word now. Please help me. In Christ's name, amen. The book of Job begins describing the godly character of Job. I want to read together uh, verse 1 to verse 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly, continually. This is the word of the Lord. Job is described as blameless, upright, one who feared God, shunned evil. But after we have these general descriptions of his character, the Spirit of God specifically illustrates what true godliness looked like by painting a scene from Job's family life. And this is verse 5. Particularly in our family relationships that we see godliness exemplified. Before I look at verse 5, though, I want us to notice the heavenly scene that follows verse 5 and verse 6 through 8. You know, if you're familiar with this book, it's, a, it's quite a strange scene. Satan comes before the Lord and uh, has to give an account before God. And the Lord brings up Job to Satan. The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. This is quite a commendation. The Lord is describing Job as the godliest man of his generation. If this is so, certainly we should consider his life and seek how we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as Colossians tells us. Uh, we could begin asking, well, what is it really in the life of Job that, that makes him stand out? Uh, Job 31 gives us a very... Um, detailed list of his of different virtues but in the context of this chapter one there's there's a key that i think is is very helpful for us and it's verse five this key shows us 
Job's exemplary life. That is how he viewed God, how he viewed sin, and specifically in his role as a father in his family. Verse 5 tells us that Job was watching and praying for his children. And this is the first point. We see Job and his wife, after many years training up their children, now they had the joy of seeing the fruit of their labors and the transforming grace of God. The arguing days uh, had passed. Now the kids had learned to live together in unity, enjoying each other's company. The complaining days, the slandering days uh, were over. And now their kids had had learned to eagerly serve each other and extend gracious hospitality to one another, having each other or each other's houses in such a way showing their, their real love for one another. And certainly Job rejoiced in all of this. Nevertheless, Job still carried in his heart this fatherly concern. He wanted his family to be pure before God. And so he solemnly bore this responsibility as leader of his family. He was going to watch over his children. He was going to ensure that each one under his influence remained pure in heart before the Lord. Even though at this point his children had matured, they they were good moral citizens outwardly, Job was still prayerful and watchful for their inner purity stayed active in his in his children's lives. He kept communication lines open. He observed their way of life and tried to discern what was going on in their hearts. He knew it wasn't enough just for them to be friendly and rightly related with one another. He knew they needed to be rightly related to God, their maker. He also knew how easy it was to disrupt that vertical relationship with God. How each of his children were born in sin. Chapter 14, verse 4, he talks about um, the nature of man. We're born in sin with this, this tendency. We're prone to wander from the Lord. We're vulnerable to the deceitfulness of sin. He was aware of all this. He was aware also of the dangers of youth. As he has young children um, or young adults, these children could give into thoughtlessness to the love of pleasure, to the fear of man. And there was also the, the temptations that were particular for the rich, the tendency to pride, the tendency to self-sufficiency, the tendency to forget God because we have everything we need. All of these things made Job watchful and prayerful toward his children. He held each one in his heart and he offered each one to God in prayer that not one of his children, not one, would begin to turn away from the Lord. We see a father who watched and prayed for his children as we look at Job. But we also see a man who continually led his family to the sacrifice to receive cleansing from sin. It was after the times of feasting that Job specifically called his children to come and consecrate themselves and participate 
and offering burnt offerings. Though fun and games had their place, he knew that sober seasons of dealing with sin were essential to maintaining his family's purity before God. Their laughter had to be turned into mourning. Their joy had to be turned into gloom as they cleansed their hands and purified their hearts before the Lord, as James 4 speaks of. So with the influence that Job had, he called all of his children to rise early in the morning, to consecrate themselves on this first day of the week, to put on the clothes that were appropriate, and then to gather around the altar. Job wanted each of his children, each of them, to be present there. It wasn't enough that he could just offer it in their place. No, they had to be present. He had a lamb for each of his ch children, and he wanted each of his children to witness the shedding of the blood. He wanted all of them to see what was necessary to cleanse them from sin. He wanted them to realize their sin was against the Holy One. To be impressed with the holiness of God, the seriousness of sin that came in the midst of that sacrifice. He wanted all of them to know there was only one hope of cleansing. And that was through the shed blood of an innocent lamb. And as the smoke ascended to heaven, all of them watched these sacrifices. The smoke ascended. They, he wanted all of them to know and be assured that God received the sacrifice, that their Redeemer had made an atonement for sin. And this text in verse 5 ends saying, so Job did this continually. It was a practice that he stuck to. He probably was tempted at times. I'm going to turn off my video for the uh, my internet. So he probably was tempted at times to stop this family practice. Maybe some of his, his business acquaintances told him, come on, Job, you're, you're losing golden opportunities in your business by taking off these days to go sacrifice. Maybe some of his close friends said, come on, Job, don't be too hard on your kids. Aren't you being overly religious to continually offer sacrifices for something your kids might have thought in their hearts? Come on. Maybe some of his children complained. Maybe even his wife didn't support him in this. But regardless, Job would not give up this practice. He was going to continually lead his family to the sacrifice. He would watch and pray and offer up these burnt offerings because his family had to stay pure before the Lord. This text is such a conviction to me because the Lord here sets this ideal of for, for all parents and grandparents of how he calls us to watch and pray for our children, for prodigal children, for struggling children, and even children that seem like they're doing well spiritually. They need the prayers of their parents. And I hope that the Lord will use this stir us up to say what is what is the influence that i have that i've been entrusted with in the lives of my children and grandchildren to 
to regularly gather them together around the word of God in prayer. Because First Timothy 4 says everything is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And, and above all, what can I do to continually point my children to the sacrifice, to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? It is that lamb, Christ himself, who offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins once for all time. But beyond applying this to ourselves, let's also plead with the Lord to revive parents to live like this, to live with this deep concern for the purity of their children, that this concern would compel them to pray. In recent months, I heard this pastor share uh, some of the accounts from the New Hebrides revival. He had gone and interviewed some of the witnesses in this revival, and he shared that he was personally struck, especially with how the parents pleaded for the children. He said, when the Spirit of the Lord came down with tremendous power, one of the distinguishing marks of God's life-giving presence was that parents were overwhelmed with the spiritual needs of their children, and they were driven to travailing in prayer for the Lord to get a hold of their children and grandchildren. Like Hannah, they seemed intoxicated because the desire for their children was like, like this flood that was ever rising in their hearts until it burst out. And they were pouring out their souls to the Lord. And in this revival, teenagers gave accounts of remembering being awakened at nighttime by the sound of their parents sobbing. They stepped out of their room and they peered down the stairwell and saw their parents with some neighbors all on their faces crying out the names of kids in the neighborhood, including the boys who had just come home from war. Another recalled being outside playing when he heard some shouting. He recognized that's that's the voice of my grandpa. Why was grandpa shouting? Well, in curiosity, he ran to the barn where he heard the noise and he went and looked through a crack in the barn wall. And there was his grandpa with two or three other older men on their knees with their arms outstretched to heaven. And they were shouting, they were shouting, God, we know you are a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. We hold you to your covenant. We must have our children. We will not let them go. Is the spirit of prayer and supplication that is poured out upon us that compels us to travail in prayer. And when the Lord comes in this way, we have the same spirit that Paul had when he says in Galatians 4:19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Christ must be formed in our children and our grandchildren. So, brothers and sisters, let's, let us keep prevailing in prayer that this would be the reality. Amen.